0: Well, with that then, let us uh, turn our attention once again to the the reading of God's holy word. And um, I'll begin in verse 14. These are the words of God. Let us give them our due attention. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Amen. May God bless this solemn word to us. Let us pray for the preaching. Father and our God, what a heavy word has come before us. And we pray, Father, then, that the preacher would preach the word with the solemnity and the gravity in which is required. He cannot do this himself, Father. So help him by your spirit, proclaim the word of God, that uh, the people of God would hear the Holy Ghost speaking, that they would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would turn to the everlasting gospel and turn away from their sin. The man cannot do this, Father. So may Jesus Christ minister through the man. We pray, Father, that the spirit of the Lord would open every heart here, For that is our only hope, that the word would have any fruition today. Bless the word of God that is about to be received. And so help me, Father, to speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is certainly the case, people of God, that we are often in the habit of diagnosing symptoms rather than causes Root causes, this, as you know, is fatal in medicine. For instance, uh, it is my understanding, and I am no medical expert, but this seems to be the case, certain cancers cause skin rashes. But if you treat just the rash topically and not the underlying cancer, the patient dies, even if the rash is managed. In like manner, we often look to treat symptoms and not fundamental root causes. Especially, especially when it comes to societal ills. I don't have to tell you, this friends, but how great our societal ills are right now. Today, out in the open, our perversions of the kind Paul wrote are a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret." Ephesians 5:12. And one reason I was provoked to preach this sermon at this time, I intended to preach on this theme at some point this year was I was provoked to do it this Lord's Day because our president proclaimed March 31st, 2022, the Transgender Day of Visibility. And he had the temerity to sign it in the year of our Lord. Makes you tremble, friends. Makes you wonder what kind of dark Lord he imagines because he couldn't imagine Jesus. Then there is the ongoing slaughter of the unborn that is just accelerating, the blood of 64 million babies by last count, crying out to God for justice in our land. Nowadays, you can kill your baby in the womb with such efficiency that there is a pill you can get, that you can do it in the comfort of your own home. And so it is likely that the abortion numbers are far too conservative and it is likely so far beyond our imagining, beloved, it is staggering. I cannot imagine a million deaths, much less 64 million. These are, these are numbers, you know, what, what is the saying? One death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. Is exactly the case, friends. These numbers are so staggering, the mind cannot bend to understand them. And then there is great debt, there, is, there are broken families, there are rampant divorces, at least two mass shootings I know of this month, and so on and so on. And such societal evils are growing worse and worse over time, and it makes you wonder every morning, what will I see in today's news? What's next? And today, and for several years really, Christians rightfully angered at these things seek political solutions to deal with these evils. But that is, the word of God will show us today to treat the rash rather than the cancer. And worse, while they are angered by the rash, this is really what is grievous to God, they are not angered at the cancer, but have made peace with the cancer itself. The cancer, the root cause for the rash is this, we the people have dishonored God. We are a people who, as our text says, glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 21. And if you look at this text, all the wicked symptoms that you see in this text, which are like a description of our society, are due to this one root cause. It is a pressing need for the church to no longer be angered with the rash, but to look at the cancer. And to be angered by the cancer more than the rash To seek a remedy for the cancer which God has given to us, but we ignore. God has given us the cure to the cancer in Jesus Christ. So this is not a hopeless sermon, friends. Not going to preach as so many men preach. That the nation is lost. That the end is nigh. But until, until friends, until the church is more horrified by the cancer than the rash, our land will not be healed and our depravity will grow and grow. And so with that, our theme is this, that pervasive societal evils are the result of dishonoring God. And to jump to the conclusion and the solution to that is the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. And we consider this theme under three headings. First, the evil of dishonoring God. Second, the judgment that comes when we dishonor God. And third, the cure for dishonoring God. First, the evil of dishonoring God. You heard the Apostle list a grotesque catalog of vile affections and evil behaviors. If you had no idea this was the Bible, you would think it describes our nation today. And it does. Homosexuality, lesbianism, murder, lack of natural affection, on and on and on. We'll consider some of those later. But again, our text shows us that this is all a symptom, the rash, so to speak, of our analogy of the root cause. Which we discover the root in verse 18 through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or suppress, hold down the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. This is the root problem. This is the cancer we face. That all of us know that there is a God, but we dishonor him. That is the root of the problem. Uh, What we find here is the apostle says nature points all men to nature's God. That the heavens declare the glory of God in Psalm 19, right? Which also says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. That means from around the globe, all men know that there is this omnipotent creator God. It is self-evident and obvious from the things that are made. And also that internal testimony that we have, that we are being made in his image. But as men are corrupt in their fallen nature and they love Sin more than they love God, they are unrighteous and they suppress or hold down the truth of God in their unrighteousness. They refuse to admit that the true Creator God is God over them. And the text says, instead, what do they do? In order to assage their conscience, they create their own gods to worship after their own likeness, which is idolatry. So we read in verses 22 to 23. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds, four footed beasts, and creeping things. The Bible says that they profess to be wise, and this is a, (laughs) a temperature of our own era. They're wise in their own eyes, yet they become fools. It is folly what they do. Verses twenty four to twenty five. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever, Amen. So they changed the truth of God because they're suppressing the truth of God in unrighteousness. They worship and serve creatures rather than the blessed Creator, blessed forever and ever, Amen. And this is the root cause of all our societal evils, friends. Every single one is because we dishonour God. Because we don't worship Him as God. And we worship the creature instead, right? And and don't misunderstand, don't don't think that today there are no idols in the land. There are millions more idols than there were at the time this text was written could be your bank account, it could be your job, it could be, uh, you know, you think about these women who are murdering their children. It could be the, the, whatever it is the society has told them is more important than human life. Whether it is their friendships, their future, whatever it is. That's all idolatry, friends. All of it is idolatry. They are serving the creature rather than the creator. The creator has said, this one is made in my image. And we say no, and we refuse to worship God. And this is the dishonoring of God is, is the anger of God we're going to see is being unleashed in, in unleashing these societal evils on us. And what I want you to say, see here, friends, is this, the way the Bible sees things. To honor creatures over the living God is the greatest evil there is doesn't matter if it is a fellow man. To honor a man over God, to honor a creature over God, to honor an angel over God, as we've heard in the book of Hebrews, is to dishonor God, and it is the greatest evil of all. You need to get this because we often miss this in the church. Mass murder is not the greatest evil there is. The dishonoring of God as God is the supreme evil. And how we miss that, friends, even in the church because God is all about his glory. He is all about his honor. And it is because he is worthy of it, friends. Some might say, why is your God so consumed with his own glory? He seems to be a narcissist, which is blasphemy, of course, right? To accuse God of that. Um, the reason God is worthy of glory is because he is worthy of glory. He is most glorious. He is perfection. He is holy, holy, holy. He is pure love. He is pure justice. He is most pure, a most pure spirit. His effulgence, his radiance causes the greatest beings of creation, the holy angels, to shield themselves from him. God is worthy of the highest glory from his creatures. And for a man to honor any creature over God is a terrible evil. What does the second commandment teach us about the nature of God? I am a jealous God. And he is right to be jealous. You think of this. Is anything worthy of more honor than God? No. Nothing. Nothing is worthy. You know, you are so provoked when a man who is worthy of honor is dishonored, aren't you? Maybe it's yourself. You think you're so worthy of honor. And when you are dishonored, suddenly the wrath the wrath of, of man is kindled in you, but you refuse to give God, who is perfect and pure, the right to be angered at being dishonored. He says in Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. We must, and see, this is the thing, right? If we are the people of God, we must be jealous for him and his glory we must be jealous for his right to be adored and worshiped above all others friends never forget this truth god is for god first and foremost that he has compassion on us being so glorious and so compassionate is what makes him so astonishing that he should as the as so much of the bible says that you would take note of us o glorious perfect being is what makes him so astonishing, and that's what should make us glorify him first in our lives all the more. Why don't you think about the testimony of God? You know, when Joshua inquired of the angel of the Lord, who is the pre-incarnate Christ, when he asked the angel of the Lord, "Art thou for us or for our enemies?" What was his answer? "Nay," Joshua five thirteen. God is for God. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His answer is the same today. He is for God. Even the promise of the gospel, we forget this, right? In Ezekiel, we have the promise of the gospel. It is prefaced like this, and listen carefully. But I had pity for mine holy name. Why does he have pity? For his holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God. I do not uh, this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went, Ezekiel 36. I do this not for you, but for my name's sake, because you profane my name, I will save you. And then comes the gospel promise that you remember of being sprinkled with clean water, a new heart and a new spirit to what end? To cleanse you from your filthiness And your idols, that you would give glory to God. I do not this for your own sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen. The honor, we missed this. How? When was the last time you said the the point of the gospel is the honor and glory of God? When have you thought that the point of the gospel is to save men? Which it is, a secondary thing. But primary is the honor and glory of God. And so, now if you think about this, I think you can diagnose problems in the church and in society very well. Have you ever wondered about what the root problem is in liberal churches? You may have misdiagnosed the problem and diagnosed the rash instead. You know that they are defined by their desire to love and serve men, so to speak. They focus on their soup kitchens. They love to teach love and tolerance for everyone. And that has become their religion. And some of this is very biblical. I don't dispute it. We must love even our enemies, our Lord said, and be benevolent to them. We're to love those who are deep in their sin. There's no problem in that. But they twist this benevolence into accepting sin. But even that is still the rash. The cancer, their root problem, is the elevation of love for man over Love for God. And they flipped everything around, friends. They love the creature. They love even men more than the creator who is blessed forever. And they don't speak about his rights. They only speak about man's rights. They don't have any care to defend Jehovah as the one true God. They don't honor his beloved son, saying Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Why? Because the creature might be insulted. They love man over God. And so they create an idol, an idolatrous God with no judgment for sin. And they teach that Muslims, Jews, and others all worship the same God as we do. It's horrifying. But it's the same root cause. They exchange the glory of the true God for an idol. They worship and serve the creature over the creator. And uh, you know this well, boys and girls, that the laws of God themselves show us the priority of the honor of God. Seen in how Jesus Christ divides the laws of God. When Jesus was asked, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Which is, again, not to say that's not important, but first and great is love, the Lord thy God. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, Matthew 22, 36 through 40. And so Jesus Christ divides all the commandments of God into two. First and greatest, highest is love to God. Second and like it is love for neighbor. And these are, boys and girls, you remember, the two tables of the law. Uh, we divide the Ten Commandments, which summarize God's laws, into these two tables. Commandments 1 through 4 are the first table, love to God. Commandments 5 through 10 are the second table, love to neighbor. And the issue is that we elevate Commandments 5 through 10 over 1 through 4. And we don't see what is first in God's eyes. Uh, and you need to remember this division, because this is what leads to dishonoring God. Jesus said that there are weightier matters in the law. The first four commandments are weightier than the last six. Not that the last six aren't weighty, but anything in the first table has highest weight above all others. The first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. This is supremely important over thou shalt not kill. In some ways, it is seen as a summary of the entirety of the law. For to follow the rest of the laws of God is to say, I have no other gods before him. Remember what Jesus said this morning. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? If you admit that he is Lord, he is God, the first commandment then governs all of your actions. But what do we see in our society? Any faith, any God is tolerated and can be loved. This, not abortion, not adultery, not homosexuality, is the great evil of our society. The second commandment, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, etc. The worship of God is next in the commandments. Today we see idolatry in Christian churches, images of God everywhere, even contrary to the commandment, bare commandment itself. And this day, many churches have not even looked in the Bible for the will of God on this day. Uh, I was talking to a brother at lunch and evidently the other congregation over there, they had a man in a bunny suit walking around. This is what passes today for the holy day of God and what goes on in it. And you can only imagine what's been going on in several churches today in the worship of God. The third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Public blasphemy is enshrined as a right in this country. It used to be disallowed. But now on televisions and in movies and in day-to-day conversations, his name is blasphemed constantly and we are numb to it. This past month has gone so bad, uh, I, just, I found software to run on my living room PC to filter out blasphemy because you can't even watch a children's movie anymore without having the name of the Lord taken in vain. And the problem we have, friends, is this that the name of God being blasphemed is less provoking to our spirit than if our children watched lewd and tawdry images. But that is to put the seventh command over the third. And you see how totally backwards our thinking is and how our minds need to be renewed. The fourth command, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. This commandment, aim is to honor God one day of our week it is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God the side effect of it is he gives us rest but so many even Christians who hold to the Sabbath what they want is rest without honoring God and they find no rest at all we must remember then friends that thou shalt not kill thou shalt not commit adultery and thou shalt not steal they are weighty but they have less weight than any command in the first table. And so when Christians, when Christians, right, say that our big issues right now are abortion and taxation is theft, but ignore God's prerogatives in the first table, we ourselves are elevating the creature over God. We dishonor him and we elevate the creature over the creator. Friends, Just a point of application for you and me before we move on. Make sure in your own life, before we think of others, we ourselves get this priority straight. If you are looking for your own welfare over the honor of God, if you do not shrine God's honor in your family and workplace, you have things utterly backwards. God comes first. God is for God. And so you and I must be for God first and foremost. Then We will have honor, as you heard this morning, which is what? He says, them that honor me, I will honor. Honor him in the first table, and he will honor you. But on the flip side, the dishonoring of God leads to our judgment, which is our second heading. So what is the consequence for dishonoring God? The litany of evils we find in our text, beginning in verses 21 to 22. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, became vain in their imaginations, And their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. Those who do not glorify God first, they have futile thoughts and thinking. Their heart is darkened with folly. They are fools. But you think of this, what this text says in their own eyes, they're wise. Boys and girls, what's the contrary principle to this? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, isn't it? See, this is just the contrary principle. And so dishonoring God is the root. When we look at the folly, right? When we look at the folly that is all throughout our land today, we would understand if we had our Bibles open that dishonoring God is the root of our folly. We say, how are people so utterly blind that a man cannot know he is a man and claims to be a woman, even though he has XY chromosomes and all the body parts which testify to being male? It seems so so foolish that even children can understand that. One of the most powerful judges of our nation, supposed to be wise, which should be a prerequisite to be a justice, says she cannot tell you what a woman is. They have all become fools. Fools. But we can either just go and say, well, these people are just foolish. How can they be so foolish? Or we can open up our Bible, take and read, and see why have they become fools so foolish. You know, our, baby, our nation sees babies being eviscerated and says that is not murder, and that is all delusional thinking, friends. Anybody could tell you that that is murder. If an, you know, if an impartial observer right, would just look at the facts, you fed it into a computer, and you would say, knowing that this is life, human life in the womb, is this murder, the computer is constrained to say yes. All this folly, though, comes from our dishonoring of God. And so he has handed them over to his judgment. And when we talk that way, right, often, and I remember there were radio preachers when I was growing up in Southern California who would always say, the judgment is coming because all of this evil with homosexuality and the evil with abortion and so on and so forth. And yes, hell looms over sinners. That will be their judgment if they do not flee to Jesus. But friends, they those men on the radio they missed the point entirely. The text says that God's wrath is being poured out on them now. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or suppress the truth and righteousness. The wrath is revealed now. The punishment due to our lack of honoring God is seen in this world today. Yes, in temporal judgments like plagues and pestilences, but also here more horrifying in the darkened minds of the reprobate and the sins of this chapter, which is why you hear three times in this text, God is giving you up. God is giving you up. God is giving you up to your sin. Verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. God gave them up to uncleanness through their lusts. It's as though he says this, you do not want to honor me fine. I will cause you to dishonor your own bodies and you will be so deluded you will like it. That's a horrifying judgment, friends. What an awful judgment this is. Then in verses 26 through 27, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature and likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. God gave them up to homosexuality and lesbianism if you don't want to and you think of this argument here right He said, into that which is against nature. Think of this. You do not want to honor nature's God? Fine. You are given over to things against nature itself. Verse 28 to 28 31. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. You see this? These are the things that come out of a reprobate mind. To do those things which are not convenient or fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, children. (laughs) Listen to that. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. You think of this. You think of this. These, These judgments are all so very fitting, friends. You refuse to have a thought of me in your mind? Fine, I give you to a reprobate mind to do the things which are not fitting. Time does not permit me to go through the entire list here. But let me address here one of these points that we are so incensed over. Here, God handing us over to a lack of natural affection. This is the natural love a woman has for her child that even the animals have. You have probably seen animals mourn the death of their young, haven't you? That is natural affection. And so when a woman made in God's image happily kills her child, that is the judgment of God. You look in the Old Testament, when the judgment of God comes, women are eating their own children. This is the judgment of God for elevating the creature over the creator. You will murder your own children. I saw a post on social media, you might have done this, seen this as well last week, being shared that says abortion is healthcare and also traumatic. So if you have one, please gather all your closest friends after to celebrate. The post comes with a picture of a cake celebrating an abortion. Child of God, it's even hard to fathom such a thing. But these things are the judgments of God. These are not sinners getting away with their sin. This is the judgment of God that we have such, they have been given over to such a reprobate mind as that. This is a token of God's displeasure on our people for not honoring him as God, for not kissing the Son as a people and not turning to the Lord. And on top of it all, there's the depravity of those who approve such things. Verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. In keeping with this, that evil abortion post has been shared probably by hundreds of thousands of people putting their approval on it. Though they know, and they're suppressing this in unrighteousness, that it is worthy of death. Friends, I think our problem as Christians is we have no sensibility at all to gasp in horror and hiss when we see what is happening in our nation. We say... We say what? We don't say God is angry with us. Instead, we say God will be angry at us if we continue down this path. We say God will pour out his wrath. Instead of saying God is angry and this is the wrath of God. We say God is going to judge us because millions of babies are dead. We say God will judge us because of transvestites. No, the blood of babies and the transvestites are God's judgment. God has been pouring out his wrath on this country and so much of the world for so long. We are such blind fools to not see it. He has been screaming in all of that, honor me. But even the church is focused on the rash and not the cancer. Because we ourselves, and this is the judgment of God on the church, that we have not seen how clear the priority of honoring God as God is. And you might even ask this question because I was, I was pondering the question myself. Why does our nation and much of the West, right, why does the depravity seem so grave in our nation compared to other pagan cultures? If you looked at our nation, it seems as if pagan nations do not have as grave judgments as we do. For instance, abortion is much more rampant here than in many pagan cultures. Why is God's wrath seemingly so much more severe in our nation and much of the West? The scriptures, again, will make you wise to understand why. When it comes to God's wrath, you can apply texts, and there are multiple texts like this. Luke 12, 47-48. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required." and to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. This nation, friends, has had the light of the gospel and the word of God. We are not ignorant of God. George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, and millions of ordinary ministers of the gospel have preached this word from sea to shining sea. This book is everywhere. Bookstores carry it openly. There are churches everywhere. But what has happened, our society openly despises and mocks the Christ of the Bible. And what did Jesus say when his witness was ignored in a land? Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Matthew 10, 15. This nation, you know it, friends, has had great revivals of religion and has known the true God the judgment will be greater on nations that have rejected the light that they have received, which is why often the judgment on Israel was far more severe than it was on the pagan nations. If the nation does not turn, it will be more tolerable for Sodom in the day of judgment. This nation and much of the West have heard of Christ, the King of Kings, crucified for sinners, but has refused to enthrone him over the nation's such that it can now, right, you think of this, going back to our opening, it now signs its evil documents, that transgender proclamation in the year of our Lord. That is blasphemy, attaching the Lord's name to evil. But it also is a testimony against us, showing we know Christ, but openly defy his rule. This is the year of the Lord, our nation says. And how it denies him. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say, to tie it to this morning. Mr. Biden's document testifies that the wrath of the Lamb is upon us. These are heavy things, friends, to witness the wrath of the Lamb on our nation. And this is the same for the church, friends. Judgment begins in the house of God. I was thinking about this question and I was uh, uh, speaking to some of the men at the prayer time before our services. Ask yourself this question. Why do pedophile priests run rampant in the Roman Catholic Church? Now the world will tell you this, something like this. Well, it's because they forbid their priests to marry, which is again unbiblical and evil, um, and they burn, right? And then they say that is why they are pedophiles. But, friends, if that were the case, What you would notice is more of this priests committing adultery and fornication with women. But what the priests do is unnatural, having relations and abusing young boys. This is against nature. And so you see that this is judgment due to idolatry. And Protestant churches are experiencing the same too. Let's not excuse ourselves. Wherever we see it, we must ask as a church, are we honoring God? Are we going the way of liberal churches and Roman Catholicism? Roman Catholicism with its gross and evil idolatry and and its gospel, which is no gospel at all. Or are we going the way of the liberal churches and always elevating the desires of the creature over the creator? And repent whenever we see it. Well, I promise this is not a hopeless sermon, but a hope-filled one. Because Christ is given as the cure to God's wrath, praise the Lord. So let's consider him under the cure for dishonoring God as our final heading. So what is the cure to the cancer? It is not, friends, in good policies, procedures, and statutes. That is neither hope nor cure. It is, in to use the analogy, a topical treatment of the rash, and it has no power. You will find that the rash will subside maybe a little bit, and it will just break out elsewhere. Because the cancer has been left untreated. Because also you think about this. You think about the judgment of God here and being given over to a reprobate mind. What do you think is going to happen in a society when most souls are handed over to a reprobate mind? Do you think its citizens will abide by wholesome laws? They will despise them instead. And all our politicians will do is what? In our sort of government, we will serve we, the reprobate people. And they will look at polls. What do the reprobates want? Well, Let us do what the reprobates want because that is how we get in power. But in our text, praise the Lord, in the face of a great depraved society, Rome, Paul writes the words you have probably memorized. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Verse 16. This is the cure for our cancer. The power of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a thing the gospel is, friends, where the power of God comes to us. When the Holy Spirit comes in power to bless the preaching of the gospel, Christ crucified for sinners, he renews hearts and smashes the depraved, reprobate heart and mind and gives that promised heart of flesh in Ezekiel for the sake of God's name. And a heart reborn by the gospel is a heart after God. The heart that we heard of this morning that enthrones Jesus over the heart. And now that reprobate heart now is turned to honor God. It gets given the fear of God, the beginning of wisdom, and it puts away idolatry. That must be you. Friends, you must be born again and you who are born again must put Jesus above all because you have been born again so that your idolatry is put away and the first table of the law is supreme in your heart and you say glory to God in the highest. Have you forgotten the effect of the gospel? And I think it's so remarkable how we miss the effect of the gospel in Ephesus. What happened in Acts 19, 17 through 21? The gospel falls on men. Fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and founded 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. They put away idolatry. They burned everything that dishonored God. And what was the reaction to the man who made so much money from them? Demetrius the silversmith. So infuriated in Acts 19.26, and this is his charge against Paul. But almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. That is the power of God in the gospel. Idolatry is reversed and erased. Idolaters, look at this, they are put out of business. You want the abortionist to be put out of business? Proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And women are going to say, how could I ever murder one maid in the, name of, in the image of my God? Abortion is gone away. The cancer is removed at the root and the rash goes away. Abortion is gone. Lesbians become former lesbians like our own Rosaria Butterfield in Durham. And what do we do? We find a blessing that comes. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Psalm thirty-three, twelve. And this is what happens when hearts are reborn in a society. They, they are instructed by the word of God to enthrone Jesus over their society. And they call out that the first table, as well as the second, must be enshrined in our land. And they will cheerfully and willingly do it. What was prophesied of the new covenant? We forget this all the time. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces thitherward, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. Jeremiah 55. You see, you don't have to do anything really other than instruct people out of the word of God when they are converted. They will say themselves, let us now form a society which makes a covenant to honor God. God gave us a taste of this in the covenanters and other Reformation peoples. Willingly, cheerfully, as the gospel came into their lands, from the heart they said, men did, they said put away Barabbas, make Jesus king over us. And you saw that. All the evils of the papacy was eradicated. Brothels which flourished under the papacy were put away. Families were rejuvenated. Murders were reduced. Why? Because God was honored. When Jesus Christ is honored by our society, he will grant us great blessings. But that will only happen through the proclamation of the gospel, making people born again, and then instructed out of the word that their society cannot be neutral to Jesus, but he must come first. It's so interesting, right? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I think the question churches have to ask is, why are we so ashamed of the gospel, this great power? Christians who are political seem ashamed of it. They never speak of the gospel in political rallies. When it is the gospel alone that is the power of God to cure a nation, we are ashamed of the gospel, and God hands us to judgment. We must repent of it. And we must not have a truncated gospel, but a full gospel that proclaims reborn hearts, as we heard this morning, must enthrone Jesus as Lord over every area of life. So what do we do? It seems impossible to put Christ above our nation. nation. I heard a preacher say last week, we're just flipping through a couple of sermons, he says he thinks our nation is too far gone. What a terrible thing to say, friends. How unlike John Knox, who would cry, Give me Scotland or I die. And God did give him Scotland through the gospel. And we see that nation completely reborn and changed. The Bible says this, friends. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. James 4.3. Churches no longer care to pray for the glory of God. Hallowed be thy name. The very first petition of the Lord's Prayer, mind you. So they ask for all kinds of things, for their own lusts. God's church is in decline, friends, and the nation follows the church. What we need is revival. The Lord is looking at his church and finds that we, his people, do not enthrone him. And so where it begins is with us. We must begin by repenting of our own sins against God's honor. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Second Chronicles 7.14. And so what we have to do as the people of God, and it starts with each of us individually, is to look at our own life and find all the ways we have dishonored God, and elevated the creature over the creator in our life, and we must repent. Same for our church. Same for our denomination. Same for all other churches in this land. We all need this message. To begin with our knees, humbled before God. No politician is going to tell you that. But that is what America needs. And then you have to pray for our churches to have the power of God and the preaching of Christ crucified to restore the rightful place of the preaching of the gospel. We must ask the Lord and we must ourselves compel our ministers to preach the gospel over all else that the nations would be converted to Christ. Then, and not before then, the people will cheerfully tell their representatives, put Christ in my constitution. Then the laws of God will change, uh, the laws of the nation will change. Then they will repent of abortion and homosexuality and transgenderism freely. Just as in the Acts, Diana went out of business. You know, It's uh, rather interesting, right, friends? Could you imagine this nation if 51% of its people were born again? What a different nation this would be. Spend more time on your knees asking for revival, friends, than spending it on Fox News or CNN. Spend more time and energy to advance the spread of the gospel and Christ's kingship than time and energy for political candidates. You think of this. If the churches, true churches, had the resources of the Republican Party and men, young men more interested in being ministers than delegates to the National Convention, what a different land this would be. Pray for that, friends. The gospel, this is the most glorious thing, right? The gospel and prayer are the mightiest weapons, able to pull down strongholds, the Bible says, and they are freely accessible by God's people. When was the last time we took advantage of that? The power of God. This book, our knees, God works mightily through them. Use those means, beloved of God, and cure the cancer by God's help instead of the rash, and you will see the rash disappear in due time. Amen. Please rise for prayer if able. Our Father and our God, oh, restore the place your glory must have in our hearts. Father, help us to deal with the cancer, not the rash. We want to have converted children, Father. So, oh God, would you cause Christ to be honored in our families overall? We want blessings in our nation, Father. So help your rights be honored above man's rights. We want blessings in our church and our denomination and all the true churches of the land, not just the RPCNA. So help your church's father honor you above all else. Help us remember, O God, that worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. O Father, for the sake of your son who is worthy, would you give this nation not to a reprobate mind, but instead a regenerated heart. Would you regenerate, Father, the hearts of the people here? Would you regenerate and rejuvenate the hearts of the sluggish uh, people in the churches of God? Would the ministers of God proclaim the gospel boldly? Would, Father, there be a care and concern for the word of God rightly preached, the sacraments rightly administered, and prayers, bold prayers, going up to the God of heaven? Oh, Father, you can do these things. We have full faith in it. For what is impossible with man is possible with God. And you are able to do exceedingly more and abundant than we can ever imagine or hope. And so we put our hope in you this day and not in princes. So help us, Father, for the sake of Jesus Christ, Messiah the Prince, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.